0: Hey everyone, Brian and I are actually off today, so for today's show, we wanted to share with you some of our favorite moments from the last few months. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. Not back, this is the beginning of the show. Well, I mean, welcome back from... The weekend. weekend. Yeah, welcome back from the weekend. Glad you made it. Glad you're still here I mean, it's gonna be monday isn't it this is gonna be the- <laughs> we're off and rolling on a monday <laughs> monday is show people <laughs> hear that brian that's the sound of people turning off their radios citywide they're like nope gave him a chance <laughs> <laughs> i only i only give my host 12 seconds of a chance and yeah, he failed. We can see how they failed start Monday's show <laughs> let's see if i can do the rest of this uh facebook the common good radio show 1160 hope.com slash the common good instagram and twitter at common good talk And wherever it is, you get your podcast, subscribing, rating and reviewing both on the podcast and the Facebook page helps us out a whole ton, helps uh, get the show in front of more eyeballs. I got a whole bunch of links in the rundown for this first segment, Brian. I I don't really want to talk a whole lot about this first one, but it says NBC News, right? Poll 80 percent of voters say things
1: are out of control in the United States. What do you think of that? Uh, It's when I read that for the first time, I was like, that's crazy. But then when you just think for five seconds about what's going on in our culture, you're like, yeah, actually, that makes sense. Right. From coronavirus to the economy to obviously now all that's going on with police brutality and George Floyd. uh, And then uh, it's like we can't catch our breath here. It's like we can't come up from water. And so. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, but it's really stark. You see it and you're like, oh my right. gosh, 8 out of ten, percent That's pretty crazy. Well,
0: and speaking of stark, I, I wanted to at least mention in the headline of this other one out of Chicago Sun-Times is 18 murders in 24 hours inside so the most violent day in 60 years in Chicago. Um, wow. That is, just, that's just a stagger. Maybe we'll dedicate like an entire segment to that later. 60 I, years. Wow. I can't even wrap my head around that entirely. That is so, and it's right in our city. So I wanted to at least mention it and it's on our Facebook page. If you want to dialogue about it there, maybe we'll include some of your comments in yeah. a, uh, in a future segment. But I, I did, this isn't really sports news, but I know that you're <laughs> kind of hurting being the sports guy of this pair. And uh, so I dropped a couple of links that pertain to the
1: NFL in here. You want to get us into that? That's right. And and you should, as you alluded to at the beginning, uh, Pastor Derwin Gray is about to join us and he is an ex-NFL player. So you yeah, really you right. really uh, helped me out today. So uh, <laughs> I got you. But yeah, you know, the NFL, uh, for good reason, uh, has been at the forefront over the last couple years around especially the protests about police brutality, because uh, if you've spent any time, even if you're not an NFL fan, you probably know the name Colin Kaepernick. Uh, and Colin Kaepernick, all the way back in 2016, started taking a knee during the national anthem, uh, but was very clear. Uh, Kaepernick was very clear at the time. Uh, I love America. That's why I'm doing this. And I, as long as there's still uh, systemic racism and uh, uh, issues of police brutality, like he was very clear. I'm taking a knee because of issues of police brutality Uh and he got widely criticized and not just criticized. It is pretty common knowledge that he got blackballed from the NFL. He has not been in the league since 2016. And while he wasn't a top 10 quarterback, he was definitely in the top half of quarterbacks in the league. And that's yeah. just starting quarterbacks. If you add in backup quarterbacks, it's pretty egregious uh, and pretty transparent as to why he doesn't have a job. Uh, and so now fast forward to this last couple of weeks with everything, uh, around the murder of George Floyd and all that we saw with Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor uh, and uh, it's kind of brought the the issue of police brutality and protesting back up and then you got the Drew Brees stuff from earlier last week where he right. said and he's walked it all back right? Uh, but where he said people still shouldn't kneel um, although I don't know if you saw him really go at the president when the president tried to jump on that this week um, Drew Brees has done a good job apologizing. We'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> so then to finish the story, a bunch of the biggest names in the NFL put out a video, I believe on Friday, basically saying things like I, I am George Floyd. I'm Brianna Taylor. This right. could be me. And it all culminated, I believe on Saturday where the NFL commissioner, Roger G- Goodell, who is the front for the, um, for the owners. And he's basically the one, they're the ones who kind of blackballed Colin Kaepernick Roger Goodell released a powerful video, a recorded video in which he admitted the league was, quote, wrong. He used the word wrong Mm. for not listening to players who protested against social injustice and police brutality. He said he wants players to continue to speak out through protesting. So people are going, I think he's actually inviting kneeling now, not just Mm. permitting it, but inviting it. Uh, And he said, I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League. So this was a a seismic shift. Now, I would make the point he never used the name Colin Kaepernick. Right. Uh, People. Some people were uh, disappointed in that. But I do think, Ian, what this shows is and we'll see what the results are. Right. Like the proof's going to be in the pudding in the coming months and the coming years as a culture. But, man, the NFL, what happened this past week really kind of typifies this kind of seismic shift going on within our culture that hopefully leads to real change here after the protests die down and everything kind of calms down. Hopefully it leads to real and substantive change.
0: Well, one of the things I I shared this weekend, I said uh, I propose that we normalize celebrating when someone changes their mind when presented with new information. And I said, lament, listen, learn, love. Now, obviously, we'll have people listening right now that completely disagree with Kaepernick through and through. They disagree with this uh, supposed 180 from the NFL. What I would love to know, and you do a good job of of kind of balancing these things, Brian, because I want to end. I'm trying to be I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who's got a lot to lose by maybe not coming out with a statement like this. Like, do you buy it? outright or is there a a part of you that feels like ah this feels like pandering or feels like too little too late or do you disagree like where do you where do you kind of land in
1: uh in the events of the last couple of days from the nfl so it's hard knowing how the nfl treated the colin kaepernick protests because colin kaepernick was doing those protests when this wasn't kind of a, a you know a thing that was out there that a lot of people were doing right and so uh it's hard not to look at it through those lenses and go, wow, this is kind of, you know, good PR. Um, although mm. a lot of people close to Roger Goodell have said that he's always actually wanted to push the envelope and be kind of at the front of this, but mm. uh, most of the owners haven't wanted to be. And so it goes back to what I said before. It goes back to the proof's going to be in the pudding, like, right? What happens, we're still three, four months away from a uh, from an NFL game happening, if they happen, you know, we're still in a pandemic. Right. Uh, But assuming that they happen and half of a team kneels on that first week, three quarters of a team kneels on the sideline. um, What will the NFL's response be right now from his video? It's not only going to be permissible, but it's going to be applauded. Uh, but we'll see. Let's see if that's what it is. And I think that's when you can kind of look back on articles like this and go, OK, he really meant it. Or, yeah, that was kind of a PR move.
0: Yeah, and maybe. I mean, I imagine, too, there are people that are listening, thinking, no, I still think Kaepernick's wrong. And now I think the NFL is wrong. And uh, either okay. way, uh, we know that we can't have a dialogue right here and now. But that is one of the things that we would hope the Facebook page could serve right. as. What do you think? How are you wrestling with this? How are you grappling? Maybe what are the other things that you're – learning alongside this decision that has made you feel differently about it now than you did a year ago. Either way, all of that's on the Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. We would love for that. And again, let's keep it civil, please, as best we yeah, can. please. Uh, but yeah, we'd love for there to be some, uh, some dialogue and conversation there. And I'm absolutely thrilled for our, our next guest. He's going to stick with us for the remainder of the hour, Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray, former NFL, pa- uh, NFL pastor, NFL player, <laughs> boy, it is Monday. It is yes. Monday through and through. But also, and you'll learn exactly why, but his new book, The Good Life, is one of those sort of prophetic books that I think is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. You can learn more at thegoodlifebook.net. And that's all coming up next here in The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a bunch of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, Instagram and Twitter, at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcast, if you wouldn't mind, subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all that jazz helps us out a whole ton. And Brian and I have been saying, in particular for the last couple of weeks, how we really want to assume a posture of listener of learner, and I am absolutely thrilled to have on the phone right now, Pastor Derwin Gray. Welcome to the show, sir.
2: Hey, thanks, guys, for having me. It's an honor to be with you. And we yeah. really appreciate
0: it. Would you take just a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience in whatever way you see fit?
2: Yep. I am husband to Vicki of 28 years. Right I met her second semester my freshman year Oof. in college. We've been together ever since. I'm father to Presley, 23, and Jeremiah, 19, and I'm the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area.
1: Right on. Awesome. Derwin, we're... Really glad for you to join us. You had a new book that just came out last week, uh, called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About <laughs> Happiness. Uh, before diving into the book, although I know it'll intersect with it a bit, uh, just, I would love to just hear how the last two weeks has been for you individually and also as you lead a church. What have this last two weeks been like for you?
2: Yeah, you know, so I would say for me, my, my soul is strong but my spirit is weary, Mm. and that um, the reality of racism and police brutality and systematic injustice is nothing new to the black community. And so as a pastor of an intentionally Jesus-centered, gospel-shaped, multi-ethnic church, and even before planting Transformation Church, I've been talking about a theology of ethnic reconciliation where the gospel reconciles us to God and reconciles us to each other across cross-cultural lines. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that message has just been dismissed. The issues of justice have been just dismissed. And I think with the George Floyd murder, the way in which it was blazingly carried out. Also, when we have seen in Central Park, a woman saying, mm-hmm she's going to call the police and say it's an African-American man. When she had broken the rules, she knew she could weaponize the fact that he was a black man. And then that same week that George Floyd was killed, we had a youth pastor in Georgia who got caught in a hotel room soliciting sex on Craigslist. And his explanation for how he got into the hotel room was two black men kidnapped him. And so we live in a culture that blackness can be weaponized against you. And for the first time in my life as an evangelical Christian, I'm seeing white pastors and white Christians go, I think we need to listen. And so what I would say is that, uh, it's a season of lament. Yeah. It's a season of repent and it's a season of now being sent that this isn't anything new to the gospel. It's something that we've been blindsided to. So uh, my soul is strong, my spirit is weary, and I see signs of hope in the midst of this.
0: Man, that actually is really encouraging. You were mentioning before we went live, actually, that you were speaking at a bunch of different churches this last week. I know our church in particular, our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, went to the city with the partnered church. And it looked like a lot of churches— not only took a pause from, like, their regularly scheduled plan, but also it looked more like a conversation than a sermon. And I, I'd be curious to know, what was it like preaching in four different contexts or four four different contexts in the midst of, like, a time of unprecedented restlessness?
2: Yeah, you know, for me, it, uh, I just filmed messages and sent, sent them off. But right. at Transformation Church, and please don't hear this as boasting, but hear my heart. I plan my sermons about eight to 12 weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. I have not had to change one sermon in response mm-hmm. to our culture wow. because this is intrinsic to who we are. Wow! So, so last week's message was, uh, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Wow. Hmm. And and so I've literally had to change nothing wow. in 2020 because this is intrinsic to who we are. And so what I've said to our church is God has used us to till hard soil. We've been ignored. We've been marginalized. Uh, he's, he's prepared us to plant seeds. And now it's harvest time that people are going, OK, we're now ready to listen. And we want the church should be leading the way Yeah, that's right. as it pertains to redemptive justice. And I'm so heartbroken on how so many Christians, whether on the progressive left or the Trump right, mm. have gotten sucked into political idolatry. Right. And we're not the party of the elephant. We're not the party of the donkey. We're the party of the lamb. Mm.
1: Yeah. And Duran, you, you as we said earlier, you came out with a book <laughs> prophetically just this past week called "The Good Life." You can find it at thegoodlifebook.net, and it's to the point that you're giving a chapter away today. I believe you said it's chapter eight because it speaks so much into our current context. Could you tell us kind of the heart behind the book, and then specifically about that specific chapter?
2: Yeah, yeah. So let me let me reverse those orders. So about okay. a month ago. Uh, we gave away chapter five for free of The Good Life because I wrote about how the early church in the Greco-Roman world responded to pandemics and how after a pandemic the church would grow because of the way the church responded. So we gave that chapter away for free. Mm -hmm. Now we're giving chapter eight away for free called Happy Are the Peacemakers because I open up the chapter with the police beating of Rodney King and I talk about the division within our country along cultural and ethnic lines. And then I prepare and work through what's called a theology of ethnic reconciliation Mm. so that practical, actionable, Jesus-centered steps can be taken forward. Mm. Um, people ask me, well, Derwin, are you a part of Black Lives Matter? No, I'm a part of Jesus says all life matters. Mm. And yes, Black Lives Matter in this country, meaning that the scales of injustice have not been fond towards Black men. And so where there's injustice, mm. Jesus' people are there to lovingly, and graciously provide a response. And so I had no idea how prophetic and how timely this book would be. And so we want to give chapter eight away for free at the goodlifebook.net. But the point of writing the book, the good life uh, finding true happiness is to look at the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes in Matthew five describes Eight characteristics of a happy person. The word blessed, as you guys know, in Greek is the word makros, and it means happy. And so to summarize it, the happiness that God wants to give us leads us to holiness because of this. Hmm. The happiness that God gives us is not about good things happening to us. Hmm. It's about a good God making us good. Hmm. And that produces holiness and holiness then leads to mission.
0: That's really good. So, Durham, what you're saying is we should read the ret- rest of the book to find out how the rest of our year is going to go. Is that what you're
2: saying, <laughs> brother? Hey, man, I, I'm not. I'm not putting anything past the Lord now because. <laughs> um and and as of right now i mean it is it is it's number 1 on amazon in its category it's selling like crazy they've run out they've restocked but go to the goodlifebook.net and that's where you can get other platforms where you can buy the book um but i knew when i was writing it something beautiful and special was going to happen because it's literally a book about jesus opening up Hmm. the greatest sermon ever preached. Yeah. And I love the fact that his happiness produces holiness. And that's what we all want is to become whole human beings as God created us to be.
0: Yeah, that's so good, man. I'm so grateful. That third voice you're hearing is doing Gray. He's going to stick around with us for the rest of the hour. We're talking about his book. I cannot encourage you enough to get it. The Thegoodlifebook.net is where to go. And he'll be joining us next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. From
3: an early age, Mm -hmm. we're trained to want happiness.
4: Come on, let's try again.
3: As we grow into adults, the desire to be happy doesn't go away. Maybe if we find the right spouse, and maybe if we raise the perfect kid, maybe if we get the big office in the big corner with the big salary, we can be happy. Trying to find lasting happiness is like chasing your shadow. What starts out as childish fun erodes into adult frustration, failure, and disappointment.
4: Make sure you read up to page 155 so you're
3: ready for the test. What if getting what we desire was never meant to make us happy? What if the happiness we're hustling after... You gotta have those numbers ASAP. Okay, yes, sir. ...can never be caught. I'm Dr. Derwin Gray, and I wrote The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness to share how Jesus and the Beatitudes paints a portrait so moving that simply gazing at it, we're transported into a different world, one that is more beautiful and life-giving. 2,000 years ago, Jesus invited us to discover the happiness we long to experience. The invitation still stands. You don't have to chase shadows anymore. Jesus, happiness himself, is chasing you.
0: Are you ready, hey everyone? Welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post articles. You can send us messages. You can also find our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. If you would mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing to both the Facebook page and the podcast it does actually help us out. It changes the algorithm, so more people can find out about the show. But we are absolutely thrilled to have Derwin Gray for the rest of the hour here on the show. He's talking about his new book, thegoodlifebook.net, is where to go. But you also, you seem to have sort of this prophetic bent, and I don't know if you've always felt this way, if you have this now, but I would love to know, what what has the last week or so been like for you as it pertains to, like, social media and what you see people tweeting or sharing or posting? I know that you're pretty avid on Twitter, and you're sharing stuff that you're reading and watching what what has that all been like to navigate?
2: Yeah, you know, I um, let me let me talk about the overwhelming positiveness I see, and I want to take a moment to uh, just give a high five to the Gen Zs hmm. and the younger millennials. I, uh, I I was in a peaceful protest yesterday, and I saw so many high school students, preteens. Hmm. Um, young college students, younger millennials, white, black, all various shades of Asian and Latino. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I think there's hope for the church to break out of this, what I call Western reductionistic view of the gospel that uh, Jesus just wants to save me individually, but we don't see the cosmic redemption Mm -hmm. of the blood of Jesus is to unite all things. And these young people are are saying, look, um, I'm not having it. And so we need to really minister to them or they're going to go to the wrong side. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we need to make sure to root and ground them in a big gospel and a great God who cares about the least and the marginalized. And, and, And so that was incredibly hopeful. Um, and then, you know, the other sad part is I'll send something on Twitter and someone will say, well, Derwin, what about black on black crime? And oh, I'll, I'll say, brother, I'm a Christian. All crime is bad, right? White on white crime and black on black crime and white on white crime and Latino on Latino crime is actually a picture of the segregated society and cultures that we live in because crime is usually based on proximity. But my point is this criminals do what criminals do. Hmm. Police officers have sworn an oath to protect and to serve. And the reality is, is we love our men and women in blue. Our church transformation church has gotten rewards, awards from the city of Charlotte for our help. And what we've done for the police department in our South Carolina community as well, we, we can peacefully protest and desire police reform as well. But the idea that all this protest is simply about George Floyd misses the greater historical narrative. And it makes me sad when my white brothers and, sisters When I'll get an email or a text or IG or whatever, and they'll say, Well, that's in the past. And my thing is, Well, okay, so let's don't bring up World War II then. Right. So let's right. talk about Japanese internment camps. Like, we can talk, if we don't look at the ugly parts of our history, we're doomed to repeat, repeat it. And let me put on my pastor hat here. If you're a white brother or sister struggling with the past of America, please remember your identity is not as an American. Your identity is a blood-bought, beloved child Mm. Mm. of the Jewish Messiah, (laughs) Jesus the Saving King. Mm. When our identity is in Him, we can look at things objectively.
1: Yeah. And, Derwin, I haven't followed you on Twitter. I know enough that that you're kind of leading nationally when it comes to uh, the multi-ethnic church and how to be intentional about that. And some people might hear that, Mick, why does that even take intentionality? Hmm. Uh, Can you explain how much intentionality and what kind of those steps are to grow towards that uh, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic congregation?
2: Yeah, you know, the first thing is everything starts with theology. And if you would bear with me, uh, Galatians 3a, the Apostle Paul says this: the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, and this, saying that all the nations would be blessed. God made a covenant with Abraham and told Abraham, I'm going to give you a family that's comprised of all the families on earth. Jesus, comes through the line of Israel, King of David, the Jewish Messiah. He lives a sinless life, an atoning sacrificial death on the cross, raises again, sends the Spirit to guarantee Abraham that he would give him a family of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Therefore, we're not just forgiven of sins. We get a new family with different colored skins, and this new family is to be a family of oneness, teaching the world in darkness what light truly looks like. Unfortunately, in a racialized culture in America, we have not done that, and so when we planted Transformation Church, we wanted to be a Pauline New Testament church, and there is no doubt it is irrefutable that the early church was comprised of Jewish people and Gentile people, right. as Ephesians 214 says that the two have become one mm-hmm. because of the cross right. So we're 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 intentional because of the gospel. We're intentional with multi ethnic leadership. We're intentional with music, and we're intentional about discipling our congregation to be cross cultural missionaries. And that means this: I want to listen to your story. I want to mm. listen to understand before being understood. Mm. That's
0: great. So that that actually brings up a really important question because one of the things that I often hear people say is, oh, it's, I'm glad that that pastor over there has a multi-ethnic church. That's not really my thing, though. Like I'm glad that they yeah. over there are taking care of that. That's not – I don't know that that's my calling. And one, one of the things you tweeted uh, a week or two ago from Facts and Trends and the headline simply reads, every church should strive to achieve racial diversity. Can you Can you talk a little bit more about that idea?
2: Yeah, is that if your demographics allow for it, we should strive for it because it's God's heartbeat. Think about it. The new heavens, and new earth, every nation, tribe and tongue. The early church was overwhelmingly Jew, Gentile. God made a promise to Abraham. And so what happens is, is when you look at the New Testament, just circle all the times that you see Gentile, all the time you see Jewish, all the time you see those things. Because the problem is this. The human race destroys each other and Jesus came to destroy the sin that destroys us so that God can have a family. And so it's not optional. Mm. It is a command. And here's a, and here's the thing too whether it's all black church, whatever, whatever, whatever people will say, well, Derwin, I'm not racist. And my thing, I go, well, it's not enough, not just to be racist. Are you anti-racist because of the gospel? Also, how do you know you're not racist? You don't have any friends that don't look like you. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
0: Right. And that's also interesting. I've been listening to this podcast, this 14 part podcast uh, from seen on radio about like the history of race. And I'm realizing there's so much stuff that I've been complicit in that I didn't even realize, right? Like, how do you how do you know if you don't do the hard work of actually, you know, digging deep between, you know, the history of where you come from and what you're a part of? And I'm wondering, and we'll get into this in the next segment, but are there stuff, are there things you're like reading or listening or watching right now that you would encourage other people to check out?
2: Yeah, you know, the first thing is, I'm, uh, I, I have a doctorate, right? So I am a, I am a scholar. I love to study, but my motivation to study is love. One of my first prayers that I ever prayed when I got saved was God, let me be able to communicate the gospel to anybody from any ethnicity, Mm. any culture, any social economic, give me that gift to be able to do that. And for the last 20 plus years, um, that's what I've done is I've worked hard. And when you are a minority in a majority world, you tend to see things differently from that perspective and it gives you a heart for compassion. And so what happens is, is oftentimes the majority culture is handicapped by its privilege and doesn't see a need. And that's why taking a posture of being a student, And a learner is so important. That's
0: so good. I'm so grateful that Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray is going to join us for one more segment. We haven't mentioned it yet. He's also a former NFL player, which I know Brian is itching to ask him about. He has a brand (laughs) new book called The Good Life. Can't encourage you enough to learn more at thegoodlifebook.net. And he'll be sticking around with us for one more segment here on The Common Good on AM 1160.
3: Hope for your life as Christians to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemaker means if my brothers and sisters are hurting and even those who aren't my brothers and sisters who are hurting, I must hurt, I must care, I must speak out. So what I'm saying is, is we've been having the conversation and what I wanna say to my white pastor friends, please hear me. If the only time you preach about race is when there's a national tragedy, you're part of the problem. It's all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that justice matters. It matters. Why do you think Jesus told stories about a good Samaritan? Do you know how racially charged that was in a Jewish world? This isn't a conversation we need to have because the conversation has been having. It's time for you to join in to the action and be discipled.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a couple of places. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Instagram and Twitter, at Common Good Talk. 1160hope.com slash Good, And wherever it is you get your podcast. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, reviewing, maybe sharing, tagging a friend, all that stuff really, really does help us out a whole lot. And we are so thrilled to be joined for a bunch of segments. Dr. and Pastor Durwin Gray, who I just mentioned, was a former NFL player, but also the author of a brand new book called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding True Happiness. Can't encourage you enough to go to thegoodlifebook.net to learn more. They're giving away a couple of free chapters. But Brian, I know that you're just itching to ask him an NFL question, so I'll let
1: you go for it. Sure. Duran, I'm, I'm a suffering New York Giants fan <laughs> here, so uh, bear with me. But uh, <laughs> I'm actually, as I have followed you and read your stuff, I'm curious how being in the NFL – if it at all, prepared you to be a pastor? How are are they at all similar?
2: Yeah, you know, um, the thing that I would say is my football background has helped me tremendously in learning how to lead. Uh, Mm -hmm. My high school coach taught me vision casting. My college coach, Lavelle Edwards, he taught me the power of delegation. One of my NFL coaches, Dom Capers, taught me the importance of time management time management and organization. Also, here's what's pretty unique, right? When you, when you get to the NFL, um, you have a team goal, you've got positions and everybody sacrifices to make that happen. And so the church should be exactly the same way, right? Um, God the Father is the owner. Jesus is the GM. The Holy Spirit is the talent scout. And, you know, pastors are, are like the, the coaches and the congregation are the players. But the difference with a congregation is we tend to look at it from a consumer perspective. What can Jesus do for me versus a participation perspective? How can I partner with Jesus and what he wants to do? And so football was incredible. You have to learn to get along with people from all kinds of backgrounds and you put the churchary things secondary to the main thing, which is being the best team that you can be. So football has helped me extensively um, as a follower of Jesus and as a leader and as a strategist.
0: That's so good. All right, Doran, one of the things I've been trying to do on this show a lot, and I mentioned at the very beginning, Brian and I are trying to really intentionally assume a posture of of listener, of learner, of, of lament. And I know that we just have a few minutes together, but I'm wondering, are there documentaries or podcasts or voices or people other than yourself that you would encourage people to listen to or to check out? I saw that you tweeted something about 13th on Netflix, which was phenomenal, but also heart wrenching. Are there other sources that you could point people towards that you would encourage them to check?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I would, I would say, obviously looking at 13th will give you a contemporary understanding. Uh, I would get the book called the compromise of color by Jameer Tisby Mm-hmm. Um also um there's a book called Um Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson and a couple of other scholars. Um I've written a book called The High Definition Leader. That's probably more for pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh Miles McPherson has written a book called The Third mm-hmm. Option. Mm-hmm. Uh I would read the book White Fragility. Yeah. Um yeah. And there's several other books as well, but that'll give you a really good start. And my book that chapter eight will give you a, uh, just a sense from Jesus's world in the first century world, uh, a theology of ethnic reconciliation rooted in the gospel. Right. That's mm-hmm.
1: so good. And again, if you're just joining us, Derwin has just released a book called the good life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness. And I want to circle back there, uh, and ask this question, uh, If someone's out there, you you begin by saying everybody wants to be happy. How will we know? How would somebody know when they're chasing after the wrong things for happiness?
2: And what would the result be in their lives? Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that I said is this, and I'm preaching through a series at our church called The Good Life. And in chapter two, I said this is that when we pursue the wrong kind of happiness, we become the wrong kind of people. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes what we are desiring is actually messing us up. So when you think of the Lord of the Rings, Gollum started out as a hobbit, Mm -hmm. but his pursuit of that ring turned his soul ugly. And often we're pursuing this form of happiness that actually leads to what's called idolatry. Hmm. Jesus is saying, no, what's going to make you happy is actually me forming you into my image. And our happiness actually leads us to becoming the people we never, ever thought that we would be. And it's a happiness that's rooted in purpose. And it's a happiness that allows us to reimagine the world as it should be as we join Jesus and ushering in his kingdom. Man, that's mm. so good!
0: All right, I want to I want to try and sneak two questions in here, which I realize is like a radio no no, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, two <laughs> things: one, I would love to know, uh, are you hopeful when you when you look at the world and all that's happening? Are, are you hopeful? And secondly, kind of selfishly, I would love to know how can we, not just Brian and I, but our audience, how can we be lifting you all up in prayer?
2: Yeah. So the first thing I would say is, of course, I'm hopeful because hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And he walked up out of that tomb. And because he is a new creation himself, he says one day he is coming back to make all things new. So I'm incredibly hopeful. Transformation Church is in the midst of a revival. Let's remember um, the church is different from the world where everybody else has chaos. We need to have calm. When mm. everybody else is blinded, we need to see. And so, I'm hopeful for the church. Like, like I said, transformation. We are experiencing revival of epic proportions. I'm hopeful about our place in the church in America mm. to equip other churches. That I feel like now, predominantly white pastors are ready to go. I, I want to listen now because mm-hmm. I literally have no answers, and I'm going good. Let's do this. All <laughs> right. Love it. I love um, it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm hopeful, man. Hopeful. That's great. Man. What was the other question? How can we be praying for you? How oh, can you pray for us? You, you know what? Uh, just pray for my energy. Mondays are tough. Just mm-hmm. just pray for my energy. And uh, just as Nehemiah stayed on the wall, mm-hmm. I just want to stay on the wall. I just want to stay on the wall. And I want to teach the world to love. And I just want to leave it with with this. Jesus said this, but I say to you, Pray for those who persecute you That's right. and love your enemies.
0: Hmm. My goodness, that's so good. You've been listening to Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray, who just released a brand new book called The Good Life. I cannot encourage you enough to go get it. You can learn more at thegoodlifebook.net. That's thegoodlifebook.net. And if that wasn't easy enough, they're giving away chapters that are particularly timely to what's happening in our world right now. Derwin, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it so much.
2: Hey, thank you guys so much. Keep up the great work. Hey, thanks. Appreciate
0: it. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea, to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities and Thrive and Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey in relationship with Thrive and to actually Be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Hey, everyone. Brian and I are actually off today. So for today's show, we wanted to share with you some of our favorite moments from the last few months. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to skip the particulars. Just find us on Facebook, listen to the podcast, subscribe, write, and review. It helps us out a whole ton. Brian, uh, it was all over the World Wide Web today. Louis Giglio, uh, this was during their service on Sunday, and he had a conversation with LaCrae and Dan Cathy of Chick-fil-A, and uh, he said a couple of things. And again, this was a part of it, like an hour long conversation, but there's about a two minute clip I want to play for you all. And then he actually just issued an apology a little bit ago that we'll play in a moment. But let's listen to this clip from their sermon, their conversation at Passion Church just this last weekend.
4: You know, Lecrae, it's interesting because I feel like on the inside of the church, we're fighting this historical context you talk about. In other words, we love the blessing of the cross, mm-hmm. but we don't, we don't love to sit in it mm-hmm. and realize this is what God's asking me to do, to die to myself And to live for him, whatever context that's going to look like for me. But I want to flip that upside down because I think the other side of it is true with our nation's history. We miss, we understand the curse that was slavery, Mm -hmm. white people do, and we say that was bad. But we miss the blessing of slavery that it actually built up the framework for the world that white people live in in and lived in and so a lot of people call this white privilege and when you say those two words it just is like a fuse goes off for a lot of white people because they don't want somebody telling them to check their privilege and so I know that you and I both have struggled in these days with hey if the phrase is the trip up let's get over the phrase and let's get down to the heart sure let's get down to what then do you want to call it and I think maybe a great thing for me is to call it white blessing that I'm living in the blessing of the curse that happened generationally mm-hmm. that allowed me to grow up in Atlanta. And, you know, you're talking about being 57. If you were 57, I can't imagine being that old Dan and being 57. <laughs> but, uh, I've said to our church, Lecrae, a few weeks ago, when I was born, the day I was born on Boulevard at Georgia Baptist hospital in 1958, Black people did not have equal rights in this city. Not my grandparents' lifetime or their lifetime, in my lifetime. This is right now Mm -hmm. what we're talking about today. And call it what you want, Dan, I think the issue begins with a white person saying, I want to try to put myself in somebody else's shoes. Mm -hmm. And I find it's far easier to dismiss it all by saying, you know, I'm not I'm not that's not me, that doesn't reflect me and I just went through diversity training at my job for the last 4 days. And so that's all we hear, that's not the way I am, but I feel like dismissing just as a response probably is an indication that there's something a little bit bigger under the surface mm-hmm. that maybe we don't want to deal
1: with. Okay, Brian, so before we actually listen to the apology, what what yep. stood out to you there? Man, I had so many feelings about this. Uh, a couple of different things. One, uh, I I felt like it was it was not. Uh, I felt like it was sloppy. I felt like Louis Giglio was sloppy. And, uh, cards on the table. I'm a Louis Giglio fan. I I like to read his stuff and listen to his stuff. Felt like using the phrase "white blessing," even though he was talking about it in relation to the curse, uh, is always going to end up in a bad spot. And um, and. You know, I think he rightfully got ripped for it. And he, as you said, he got killed on Twitter last night uh, and this morning. Uh, but I also was, we're about to listen to the apology. I felt good that after the apology, a lot of the people who ripped them came back and said, thank you for your apology. It yeah. wasn't like this cancel thing. Right. Um, and well, and I really some, felt. some it was, for sure. At least what I saw. Um, the apology, I think, came across as heartfelt. So it felt sloppy to me. Um and it felt like, uh, rightfully, what he said could have been hurtful to people. I'd like to believe that's not how it was meant, but I totally uh, can see how his word choice uh, really set people off. I what think did you? It, think?
0: I think it was more than could have been hurtful, man. I, I think that's that's like a that's a kissing cousin from. I'm sorry if that offended you. I think, I think it was more intense than that. And I don't. He maybe he didn't. I don't think he intended it, but that's also part of the problem. This is some of my issue. Even listening to it. It was a lot of him talking and it's his church and he's the pastor but I feel like right now there there needs to be a whole lot more like I'm going to quiet my mouth and I'm going to listen. I need to learn and I think that's part of what got him into trouble. But you mentioned his apology, so let's let's listen to that and then Brian and I will respond with the remaining seconds that
4: we have. I just wanted to come directly to you today and sincerely apologize for the use of the phrase on Sunday white blessing And I extend that apology today to every single person who is listening to me right now. But uh, most importantly, I extend that apology to my black brothers and sisters. I, like so many, am so burdened about what is happening in our nation right now. And I'm heartbroken about where we are as a nation. And one of the things that I'm most heartbroken about is trying to help myself continue to learn and to help my white brothers and sisters understand That white privilege is real. And in trying to get that sentiment across on Sunday, I used the phrase white blessing, for which I'm deeply sorry. Horrible choice of words. Does not reflect my heart at all. I don't, to be clear, believe there's any blessing in slavery. To the contrary, what I'm trying to understand and help people see is that I, my white brothers and sisters, we, sit in large part where we are today because of the centuries of gross injustice done to our black brothers and sisters. So this is my heart. This is what I want to more fully understand because I believe this will help us stay engaged in this conversation so that we can all move forward together. So thank you for just letting me open my heart to you today. Thank you for letting me apologize directly to you today. And I ask that you would pray for me and possibly even join me as I just desire to continue to learn, to understand, to stay engaged, and to be a part of all of us moving forward together to the place that God wants us to be.
0: All right. So I'll be honest. I, I appreciated the apology. It still felt like it didn't quite go far enough because it didn't feel like there was any, there was no like action step forward. There was no like, call to action i'm gonna listen to these i'm gonna buy this book i'm gonna you know what i mean like if it felt Mm -hmm. like genuine remorse, and i do appreciate his contrition there and i would encourage you go and listen to the whole conversation not just that clip um but it was it was i think your words right it was it was sloppy but it also potentially and this is where it gets really tricky kind of revealed an undergirding issue though so while it may have been sloppy and that's what made it to video they still had the chance to edit that out and they didn't which shows, I think, maybe some more infrastructure stuff that's maybe at play here. And I know we're out of time, Brian, but any any final thoughts about this?
1: I think it's something you've been saying over and over again. I think it raises the the importance of listening, because even if it's sloppy and something that you have a blind spot to, that, that's the whole point of listening, to find out, oh, I do have blind spots that are hurtful. Uh, and so I think it again raises, again, what you've been pounding home over the last couple of weeks, uh, that we've got to get better at listening, and we've got to make that our priority right now.
0: And just to be really clear, just to say it as bluntly as I can, um, what what we're talking about, what has been experienced is not a blessing. That's not a, a blessing. And, I, sure. and I, th- I think to say white privilege makes people uncomfortable, but we're going to have to get okay, I think, with actually addressing some things that particularly white people sure. that make us uncomfortable. And we would love to know what you think. This is all shared at our Facebook page. Weigh in. What What did you think? Was it... Too aggressive against Luio or people have not gone hard enough? What you think of his apology? We would love for that to be a place for all of us to be able to have a conversation. I'm really, really excited about the rest of this hour, though, because Dallas Jenkins, who many of you know, the creator and director of The Chosen, is going to be joined by his dad, Jerry Jenkins, who is the author of The Left Behind series, along with more than 200 other books. They're going to join us for the remainder of the hour here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a bunch of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160 hopecom slash the Common Good, and wherever it is, you can podcast. If you're a podcaster, I know I say it really probably too much, but subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that does really help us out a whole lot. And we are absolutely thrilled. I think our first father-son duo since the pandemic started we have both jerry and dallas jenkins on the show on the line welcome to the show gentlemen
5: thank you thank you you've had me on many many times but now you're actually excited right <laughs> i
0: didn't want to say it but the subtext was a little heavy you're right you're uh, you're spot on for saying the that. last
5: the last two years have all been in just a setup to to try to get me, to get me to bring it my works. dad on the we were just using you
0: this whole time
5: yeah, the, the left behind author finally on your show
0: that's exactly right. I'm wondering, could you each take just a minute or two and uh, introduce yourself to our audience?
6: Dad, you go first. All righty. Um, name's Jerry Jenkins, and uh, I am the author of the Left Behind series, and I've been a writer my whole adult life. And uh, Dallas is my beloved <laughs> son. Wow. In whom he is at times <laughs> pleased. Uh,
5: uh yes i'm dallas uh and i've i've been known as the son of jerry jenkins for a while now which is a good thing to be (laughs) and uh i'm currently responsible for the chosen which hopefully your listeners have heard about because i've been on the show enough but uh ideally you've also got new listeners each and every time so if they haven't heard of the chosen it's the first multi-season show about the life of christ and uh it's available now free on the app but uh i my dad is actually the one who got me into movies way back in the day i was a uh uh, a sports guy and, uh, growing up and wanted to be an athlete or a broadcaster. And, uh, finally my dad revealed to me when I was old enough to watch good movies, he said, uh, that he was a movie buff and started showing me great movies. And that's what kind of got me going into this business. So I think I've, uh, I've always kind of followed in his footsteps as a storyteller, but uh, now it's been fun to, to see the chosen getting around the world and having some of the impact mm-hmm. that it's had because, uh, I think it was also great to follow in the footsteps of Left Behind.
1: Yeah, and Jerry, Mm -hmm. I wanted to pick up there. Uh, Having been the author of Left Behind series that had so many people reading it and and so much acclaim, how has it been for you as a dad to watch The Chosen and the stuff Dallas created uh, having a similar impact and just going around the world the way that it is?
6: Well, in many ways, it's it's almost hard to believe. I mean, um, for lightning to strike an author the way Left Behind did – uh, is really a once in-a- lifetime experience and and a, a none, none in- a- lifetime experience for most it's just really that remote but to, to see it sort of happen twice in the same family is is bizarre and i have kind of a, a full circle story too because when i was eight years old i had rheumatic fever and spent uh, almost three weeks in the hospital and my mother took the the time took, took advantage of that time to teach me to memorize John 3, the mm. whole chapter. Mm. And and so that's, you know, obviously anything you memorize when you're a kid sticks with that, you your whole life. Right. To, to now, decades later, see my son bring that very scene of Nicodemus meeting Jesus at night uh, to life on the screen, you can imagine the impact that had on me emotionally. And mm. I've had to watch all, I, I say had to, uh, I, I've had to watch all eight episodes of the, the first season and I counted. I kept track. I've I've seen each of them twenty two <laughs> times because I'm not. I'm novelizing the the first season. Uh, you know, each season is going to be a novel. And I finished that. And it, what struck me was that I I never got tired of one scene. I mean, it never got old to me. It still moved me emotionally every time. So, long answer to a short question. It's it just thrills me to see what's what's come of this and and the fact that my son created it.
0: Okay. I'm going to do my best not to <laughs> cry during this interview. Like I'm i I'm still sort of a new dad. So all of this, like father, son love is, uh, hit me right in the feels. Dallas. One of the things that I appreciate about you is you're actually pretty vocal about your past failures. You share a lot of memories, uh, on Facebook of projects you thought were going to blow up and then they didn't. And the chosen success has been remarkable, but I'm wondering what was it like growing up as Jerry Jenkins kid, knowing that you wanted to be a writer to go into a similar vein like was that pressure or was that like vision casting for you or some kind of mix of both
5: yeah i wouldn't say it was pressure um i think that pressure comes if you decide to put pressure on yourself to live up to something or if you've got an overbearing father Mm -hmm. who's demanding that you follow in his footsteps like a great great santini example of someone who's just you know yelling at his kid the whole time Uh, that, that never of course happened um, my dad and I always actually had very similar interests. I mean, even with sports, I was a big sports freak. I got that from my dad. I was a big, uh, as soon as he introduced me to movies, I, be, I became really into movies. Uh, I was a, a very, very av- avid reader. I read constantly. So uh, storytelling was something I was always surrounded by. <coughs> but I never felt pressure for any one thing. Hmm. But I would say that um, one of the examples that I was able to witness was observing success and failure. My dad's written almost 200 books. Wow. And wow. so some of them we thought were going to be big successes. I mean, I've been with him when we were on tour to promote like a book um, or a book that was connected to one of my movies or whatever. And where we show up at a, at a at a bookstore to do a signing and there's, you know, three <laughs> people there mm. and, and, and the bookstore had bought 200 books in anticipation and they uh, were then embarrassed because no one showed up. And we were embarrassed because no one showed up. Right. And then I've also been at the Mall of America when they were doing a book signing for Left Behind. And there were lines literally that were two hours long snaking around wow. most of the mall. Wow. And my dad's reaction was the same both times. Um, he wasn't overly arrogant from, the you know, Left Behind success. And he wasn't overly self loathing when a book would be disappointing in sales. Mm. Um, and so I, tr- I, I tried to learn from that. Um, you can't control it. I think my dad probably learned that before I did. I mean, my, my story of how I learned from the failure of, of, at the box office of the resurrection of Gavin Stone, how I learned that it's not my job to feed the 5,000, it's only to provide the mm-hmm. loaves and fish, that, mm-hmm. that's become an impactful story for, for many of the fans of The Chosen over the last couple of years. I think my dad, I think, learned that a long time ago. Um, it just took me longer to figure it out. Um, but that's, that, again, that, that's like my dad said. It's a long answer to a short question. But um, I do think that um, the pressure that I put on myself is just to try to make sure that whatever loaves and fishes that I do provide are acceptable to Jesus. What he chooses to do with him uh, is out of my control.
1: And and Jerry, I'm I'm just curious. Uh, we've asked Dallas this about The Chosen, but what was it like when the Left Behind books first came out and they just kind of exploded? What was that like for you as an author?
6: It was really something. And, and uh, you know, because it hit so big and so fast, I got a lot of questions about, you know, people would say, so have you written anything <laughs> else? Have you ever written any other books? Left Behind um in, in two months, it'll be the 25th anniversary of the, really of wow. the release of Left Behind, the first, the first book. And I was 45 years old at that time. And, you know, Dallas is, is going to be 45 next month. So it, this is happening to us at the same periods in our lives. But um, Left Behind was my 125th book. Wow. Now, I'd, wow. had some, I'd had some successes before that. I'd done a lot of sports books with famous athletes. I'd done um, – Billy Graham's autobiography. Worked with him on that, and um, so there were, you know, there were successes and there were some bestsellers, but nothing like like Left Behind. And it, it um, Tyndale House, it actually published um, more covers than they did. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm saying this the wrong way. They actually published more book blocks than they did wow. jackets, because wow. because if the book doesn't sell you can trash the, the book blocks They're, They They don't cost much. The jackets actually cost a little more. And so they, they printed, I think it was 35,000 books, hardbacks and um, 15 or 20,000 jackets. Well, when they started selling fast, they quickly went back to press for more jackets and they adjusted things on the jacket, a you know, little, little, not typos, but, um, little inaccuracies or things they wish they'd done differently. And, um, and so there are actually, uh, you know, there's one set of thirty-five thousand first editions, which are very v- valuable, but the ones with the original jacket are more valuable than the ones with the second one. So,
2: no um, kidding.
6: It's that was one of the bizarre things that happened, and and then I can remember when the third title um, made sales reach a million copies total, and Tyndale sent me a, a framed thing of the, the 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 three covers and said, you know, a million sales. And I can remember at that time thinking I was pretty proud of myself. I was thinking, yeah. wow, I've really pulled something off here. I mean, every, anybody would love to have a million sales of all their books put together, but here's just three. And and then the fourth book, the publisher called me um, and he said, check, check Amazon for sales on book four. And I said, well, it doesn't release, right, for two weeks. And he said, that's right. I looked on Amazon. It was already number one on Amazon. In sales. Wow. And, and I had the opposite response that I had to that framed thing. It was like, I I will never take personal credit for this again as long as I live. And it just you sort of hang on for dear life because, um, you know, the the thing started selling so crazy. It was uh, the first title was selling 375,000 copies per month for two years. Wow. I mean, it was just nuts. Just crazy.
0: Well, I feel like we have a lot in common because I remember when we got our first million <laughs> listener on this show. Uh, that, was, that was a really great day. If uh, If you're just joining us, we have Jerry and Dallas Jenkins on the show. Jerry Jenkins, the author of the Left Behind series among 200 other books, apparently. And then Dallas Jenkins, the director and creator of The Chosen. Coming up next, I want to ask them not just about successes and failures, but what happens when you start taking heat for the project that's starting to get some notoriety? That's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Find us all over the place. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post our articles. You can send us a message. You can find us at eleven sixty hope.com/slash the common good. And wherever it is, you get your podcast, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing all of that does magically, mystically, somehow help us out. And uh, I think our only second ever father-son duo, Jerry Jenkins, author of the Left Behind series and a whole smattering of other books, Dallas Jenkins, creator and director of The Chosen. And we've been talking a lot about so far what it's like to be on the receiving end of just this sort of unimaginable success. And you both have such unique and also weirdly similar stories of success of things just sort of blowing up. But I also know... That once things kind of grow that big, you're also likely to kind of catch some heat, particularly among Christians. That seems to be a thing that sometimes Christians sort of step in. And uh, I'm, I want to hear from you first, Jerry. What was it like when when the critics really started coming out, when they started coming after you? What, what was it like navigating some of those seasons?
6: It was a learning experience for me. And fortunately, I'd had, I'd had the experience of working with Mr. Graham on his uh, autobiography and he talked to me about the same thing about how he he had given himself to this simple message of evangelism that he'd preached you know all over the world and when people started criticizing him for being too ecumenical or too inclusive or whatever, he said he his initial response was pain and he he wanted to defend himself and he would write to these people write back to him and say you know i'm I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do and i'm- and if I invite some local pastor who might be more liberal than I am to sit on the platform. He's going to sit under the gospel maybe for the first time. And, of course, people would argue with him and and criticize him. And he said he finally learned that the only response that he could give to critics was to say, thank you for caring enough to be so forthright in your message to me. I trust that I can count on you to continue to pray for me. Wow. And it just, you know, soft answer turns away wrath. People would write and apologize and, and pledge their prayers and that type of thing. What really got to me was, you know, when, when the book was selling in the tens of thousands the first year, people were just sort of intrigued by it. When it started doing this crazy stuff of selling, you know, millions a year, um, it, was, it, it was really different. All of a sudden, it had all kinds of critics and people didn't just say I did. I disagree with you on this aspect, or this approach, or your timing, or whatever it is. Right. right. They would a- accuse Dr. LaHaye and me of doing it for the money, um, milking it for all its worth. And it was never, you know, the the income and the means that it provided were never a blessing or something we could, you know, assist the church with. It was always lining our coffers, mm-hmm. uh, filling our coffers, or lining our pockets, or filthy lucre, that type of thing. And I found that even though I I felt I had a pretty good attitude about it because of Mr. Graham's suggestion of how to respond, it it still hit me really hard to see people criticize Dr. LaHaye because I knew him personally. And I knew that he wasn't selfish. He didn't do it for the money. And so I would would defend him. If people would write and, and say those things about him, I would say, how dare you? You don't even know the man I do. And so, so back off. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. Dallas, I'm wondering how you'd answer that question too when critics come for stuff that you've been making.
5: I really think that it's important to have what I, I call it a superpower, um, which is where you, you literally just don't mm. care. Um, and, and that sounds harsh, but um, you know, I think I got to a place in my life where um but by the time I decided to make a movie about, or you know, a show about Jesus, and making the decision to not um, rely solely on Scripture, which is probably the number one thing that people criticize uh, before they've seen it, or even sometimes when they've seen it, they'll just mm-hmm. say, "Oh, I only want to watch things that are direct verse-by-verse reenactment of Scripture." But I already In English, made
0: English, right? yeah, King James
5: <laughs> English. Yes, and um, so w- when I made the decision to to do that. Um, to make a show in this manner and to have music that felt different from usual Jesus shows and to have Jesus tell jokes and, um, you know, all, 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 on our social media. I mean, our social media has a kind of a personality as well. We do we do jokes a lot. We do behind the scenes stuff. We're not, we're not a super pious, serious social media channel. Um, that decision was made a couple of years ago. So it would be very weird if someone said, hey, you guys shouldn't do this. Uh, because you shouldn't portray anything that's not in scripture for me to go, gosh, I never thought of that. That's a good point. Um, I shouldn't, I guess I'll change course now. Um, Mm. That would be really silly. And, uh, and, and, and would, it would reflect quite a dumb move on my part to have gone to this much trouble to not have thought it through. So
4: Mm.
5: my point is you, you get to a, if, if you've made a decision that you feel good about before the Lord, and you you do have that m- mentality of my job is just to bring the best loaves and fishes that I can provide and, and have hope that they're acceptable to Jesus. And when you truly believe and mm-hmm. along with the counsel of others and, and, and uh, through scriptural study and all that, that what you're doing is the right thing then criticism mm-hmm. really shouldn't be much of an issue by the mm-hmm. same token, you shouldn't let praise be an issue either because it can be, it, 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 right. they, they can both be equally damaging. So, um i really work hard uh, with my the people in my life like my wife um who who helps me with this but you know friends family and then just you know my my regular relationship with with christ to not ride the waves of positive or negative feedback um and to really not not have what what we call uh, in scripture the fear of man and to to really focus just on um on god's approval and so Uh, I really, you know, we get criticized all the time. I've been called, you know, every name you can think of over the last couple years. And, uh, and I just went into it knowing that that was probably going to happen. And, and I just try to focus on my task, which is to, to, to honor Christ with a show about him and his people.
0: You bring up a really good point too, because one of the strange similarities between both of you and your work is that you're attempting to artistically convey something that is in some way biblical or theological, and I imagine some of the heat that you've received over the years maybe is in some way similar. We only have like a couple minutes left, but I'm wondering, could either of you weigh in on the significance or maybe a better way to say this, the role of artistry and creativity and faith? Because it feels like the blending of those two things is so important and yet so often so hard to do for all the reasons you've listed. Either of you could weigh in on that.
5: Yeah, I'll I'll speak to this real quick, Dad, uh, and then you can uh, respond if you don't mind but because uh, i i think I've, I've been answering this question a lot lately because um, i find it interesting that not only am i following in my dad's footsteps with with this kind of project um having having gl- uh, a global response but it's both projects are interpretations of scripture and, and with an attempt to make it more understandable relatable accessible to the common person without watering down the message um and honoring scripture and all I can tell you is that I've, when I, I, I saw this with Left Behind, and I saw, I'm seeing this with The Chosen, the responses are the same. The, I've never read the Bible more than I have since I've watched this show. Right. I've never read right. the Bible more since I've read the books. Or the Word of God now comes alive to me after reading this. So whether it's right or wrong um, it, you know, is up for people to argue on, on comment boards. But... I will say that the that that the results have been similar, which is people are not replacing the Bible with my show or with the Left Behind books. Hmm. They are serving to draw them even closer and more passionately to those to, to, to Scripture.
0: That's really helpful. Jerry, is there anything that you would add in that regard?
6: Well, on a similar vein, I was actually uh, I've been a professional writer since before I was old enough to drive. I was a sports writer at age 14. Oh. But when I was about 16 at camp, i I. I followed a call, answered a call to full-time Christian work, and I thought I'd have to give up the writing and become a missionary or a pastor. But a counselor, a wise counselor, said to me, sometimes God equips us before he calls us, so Mm -hmm. don't be too quick to turn your back on, on the writing. That may be the vehicle that you use to follow this call, which changed my entire view as a writer of what success means. To me, success is obedience, if I write to to follow the call of Christian full time Christian work, like Dalek said, the sales and the results are totally out of our hands anyway. All we can do is our best work, and so you do that. And then if if people criticize, um, I think that helps helps that roll off my back too. And and because this happened to to both of us in our forties instead of our twenties, uh, we may have developed a little spiritual maturity by that time, so that it uh, we have a different perspective on it.
0: That's incredibly helpful. You've been listening to Jerry Jenkins, author of the Left Behind series and hundreds of other books. Dallas Jenkins, creator and director of The Chosen. They're going to stick around for one more segment where I want to ask them, what have they learned from each other? That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent, where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area – uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop Uh, A number of times in the coming months For people in our church to do just that To to be wise with money and to live generously And that's kind of how this relationship began Because there was this no Strings attached kind of mentality It was just their heart to give back To partner with pastors and churches To help people uh, live generously To be wise with money and live generously And that was kind of the continuation Of my relationship with them And so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You'll see our Photoshopped our Photoshop mask-wearing faces there. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good and wherever it is you get podcasts. And we've been joined for most of the hour by Jerry Jenkins and Dallas Jenkins. That's right. They are related. In fact, father and son, Jerry Jenkins, is the author of the Left Behind series, along with a whole smattering of other books. And Dallas Jenkins, the director creator of The Chosen. And we've been kind of getting a peek behind the curtain, not only to their process and creativity, what success and failure look like, what it's like taking heat, especially from evangelical audiences. One thing that I'm really curious about is what do you feel like you've learned from each other? Because it sounds like you have a lot of mutual respect for each other in your process and how you deal with success and failure. And Dallas, I want to start with you. What do you feel like is one of the greatest things that you have learned or observed from your dad, particularly as it pertains to your work?
5: We are different storytellers. We have a different approach to things. I think the the thing that I really uh, have tried to to learn from the most, and 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 I feel like I'm finally getting it over the last couple of years, is his truly genuine, unfailing humility um, and hmm. gentleness. Um, he is that, that's one of the ways we're very different. And in fact, when you ask him the same question, he may speak to. Uh, If he's learned anything from me, I I, I think my approach to confrontation, my approach to criticism and even self-criticism, criticizing our work, I'm probably a little bit more aggressive than he is. But uh, his gentleness and humility is unfailing. I mean, just over the course of decades. And uh, I've always been a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more confrontational. And and I've I've learned um, a lot of the principles from him. Uh, that are finally starting to sink in which not only is gentle answer answer turns away wrath but also things such as um just not responding to certain uh people who are confrontational or aggressive hmm. um but then also just in the midst of all of it uh, whether it was the, the success of left behind or the failure of other things i hinted at this earlier but just a consistent humility um and that applies to all aspects uh, of his life hmm. and uh, i've that didn't come easy to me. I've struggled with narcissism and um, kind of self gratification um, in many ways throughout my life. And I've, I've learned over the course of time, it's been beaten out of me to try to be less self-focused. And and my dad had a lot to do with that.
0: And Jerry, how would, how would you answer that question? What do you feel like you've learned watching your son kind of navigate his own journey in this?
6: I think there is a, a big difference in our approaches, uh, mostly generationally. I mean, I was raised by um, parents who you know, came up through the Depression and, and World War II and that type of thing, mm-hmm. and they were very private and very quiet, um, and there were things that were expected and not expected but not talked about. And so I remember when, when we first started having kids, and Dallas is our oldest of three boys, um, one of the things I determined to do was to let my kids talk to me even if they disagreed and argued. Um, and my wife's a little different on that score. She was, you know, old school too. And so she was like, because I said so, and that's the end of the conversation. And, you know, um, and it it worked, they adore her too. But, um, I I can remember when Dallas was a kid, he would want to talk and argue and, you know, and, and I would be up for that all day, all night. It's okay. Let's, let's talk things through. Um, he is much more open and honest about failures and about, you know, everything. Uh, my generation, we don't talk about our medical issues or our mm. struggles or temptations. Uh, I, I've learned to do that more from him. And also I have a little accountability group. There's a, a couple of dear friends of mine closer to my age that are part of my accountability group, but I also added Dallas to that mix. So of the four of us, he's obviously the youngest, but it's you have to really be uh brave and vulnerable to to put your own son on your accountability team because there's the one guy I can't BS. He knows me. He, mm-hmm. And you know, we and, and he'll he'll, you know, call me out. That's what I wanted. I wanted true accountability. And um so that's you know, I, I've I think I've learned that uh from him that transparency is something that can be very freeing as well that's
1: awesome hey dallas i'm I'm just curious uh since we last talked uh in this quarantine me and my family watched all of the chosen now we are we loved it i'm curious my kids were wondering about season two where does it stand how's the money raising what what can you expect from season two of the chosen
5: well if it if you finally watched the show, I need to take like I'll a, a moment of silence. We watched it uh, eight days in a
1: row and loved it, buddy. <laughs> uh, you really want to make I sure you hit that in this segment?
5: Yeah, I can't. I need. I need a moment to recover from that news. Uh, so, well, thank you for watching it, and for and I'm glad you liked it. And I'm and I'm also. It's always gratifying to hear that the that kids have enjoyed it too. That's something I didn't actually expect but we're hearing from a lot of parents saying thank you my kids actually enjoy watching a jesus project which is which is tough to do sometimes um but yeah season two we are currently uh the first four episodes have been written um and and we're funded for the first half of season two so we're ready to go we're looking for locations now we don't know exactly where we're going to shoot uh, we're navigating through you know covid protocols uh-huh. which is a challenge for a lot of productions figuring that out um but as soon as we've got that down and our uh, once we choose the location, we're hoping to be shooting this year, so that it can be released uh, early next year. So we don't mm-hmm. know about the entire season at once, but we know that at least the first half of the season, we're also writing episode. You know, the second half of the season as we speak. So prayers are appreciated for the writing. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of lot of responsibility, obviously, when you're writing um, for, for you know a show about the 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 Son of mm-hmm. God and and his followers and the greatest story ever told, and it's even more pressure now knowing that it's in literally every country in the world. It's subtitled in fifty languages, uh wow. and and more every week. And uh so people are now relying on it in many ways for some of their discipleship and, and uh wow. and so we that doesn't as successful as season one has been, that the blank page doesn't care about that when you sit down to write. As yeah, my dad right. knows more than ever, uh more than anyone. And so um, yeah, we don't know exactly when season two is coming out, but on our social media pages, we give behind the scenes info every other day. And and, uh, mm. and so, in fact, we just released a new trailer uh, just yesterday morning that's done really well just because for season one, because um, it's a little bit more it's a trailer that's a little bit more kind of uh, r- relatable to younger people. It's kind of a cool, aggressive trailer. And mm. um, so anyway, my the only reason I bring that up is because we're still working on expanding our audience and making sure that enough people hear about yeah. season one and that. People like you, Brian, can, can actually watch it. <laughs> two, two years, even though you knew the guy who made it, you uh, waited it, that long. It the it. quarantine,
0: let me tell you. <laughs> I would well, just a that. reminder, too, we haven't mentioned it enough. Download the app. Right. It's free to watch. There's no reason not to. It's really – download the app. It's called The Chosen. Follow my Facebook because you guys are always posting great content on Facebook as well. Jerry, I'm wondering as we wrap up, what's on the horizon for you? Are you writing? Are you working on projects? What are you, what are you cooking up?
6: Yeah, right now I'm writing a sequel to my last novel, which was called Dead Sea Rising, and this one is called Dead Sea Conspiracy. And mm-hmm. um, I finished the first uh, novelization of The Chosen, the first season. Uh, that's scheduled to come out this uh, next spring from Focus on the Family. And then as soon as I get the scripts and the, um, you know, I, I really like to, to watch it besides just use the scripts to novelize these seasons. So that'll mm-hmm. be next is to, to do the uh, the second season novelization. Awesome
0: that's remarkable you've been listening to Dallas and Jerry Jenkins Jerry Jenkins author of the Left Behind series along with hundreds of other books also a novelization of the chosen of which Dallas is not only the creator but the director gentlemen thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today we really appreciate it thank you for having us on it's really really been a joy come back sometime we'd love to have you back thanks you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160 hope for your life